Last time, what's your name and what did you have for breakfast? <laughs> George Alvarez, Coffee with My Mother. NPR, CBC radio thing. Like when you do a mic check like that, that's what they'll ask you. What did you have for breakfast? I did not know that. And that's just sort of a, I think it's an easy thing for people. Like it's just a, doesn't, there's no you don't reason. Have to think. Yeah, you're not going to think. You're just going to say it and you'll be comfortable. It's something you know. I want you to add that in the pod. That's very interesting for the, the average listener won't know that. Yeah, maybe we'll start it off with that. Dr. Alvarez will come and uh, we'll put it right in your butt. Yeah, anybody who wants it, I'll get it in. I'll get it in your butt. It's August 2021. This is a Snow Day Podcast Extra. It's me and George in the basement. Our conversation basically uncut on the future of COVID and the Olympics. Snow day, I'm hoping for a snow day. Snow Day podcast, extra, extra from World Headquarters. It's been how many years since you were here at HQ? One year ago, exactly. No, I meant here in the basement. We're actually in the basement at uh, at HQ in the Snow Day podcast studios. And you and I did an extra from here four years ago, maybe? Or never? No, we did the extra, extra from Studio P last year or a couple of years ago. No, it was two years ago we did an extra, extra being down in the basement at World Headquarters, you might be right, it might be four years. I think it's been four years since we've been in the basement at, at headquarters. Uh, obviously here with George up in Thompson for a couple of days, and there's no way we weren't getting together to uh, to chat a little bit. Before we talk Olympics, the Olympics just ended, and we thought we'd like to do some of our reflections as two people who, uh, we didn't talk much about this before the cast, but neither of us were huge fans. No, I agree. Uh, so... I, yeah, I, we'll, we'll talk about it, but I think I was underwhelmed by the Olympics, but there were some interesting stories that are worthy of discussion. We were, we were pedestrian fans, super, certainly not super fans. You and I haven't really talked much since we did the last podcast. Like normally we do kind of, but it's just summer has gotten our way. So what's been going on with you? What's, what's happened since we last talked? Well, first, uh, for all those listeners, I'm excited to be at World Headquarters again. I've got a rusty nail in my right hand. I've got this awesome boom mic that I'm speaking. And I'm always impressed by your setup in the basement here with all these knobs. Yes, it, it's, it's, it, I, it's certainly a much better setup than Les, Steve, and I are having at our <laughs> houses. That, in case the other people didn't know that, you are definitely the producer even though producer Mike has the title. He, he, has, he has the title. He currently has the belt, but pretty soon I'm, I'm going to have to take it over. He's a fake champion. He's not the WWF world champion. He's the United States champion. We know he's not the real champion. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, since we last um, talked, yeah, you're right. We haven't talked a lot uh, in our usual tech stream just because life has gotten busy. For me, we're fully preparing for that fourth wave. It's happening in... Uh, in Calgary, all the kids are done school and we're sort of negotiating, uh, you know, a super fun, long, hot summer like you guys have had here in Manitoba. So uh, I think it's I think it's one of those nice side effects of not being able to touch base because it's we're all having a great summer. You know what? I'd be curious to hear what you would think of this, but my Alberta opened up before Manitoba did. So really, we started being mask free two days ago. I'm still not comfortable with it. I got to be honest. I, I, it's funny because my first time that I wore a mask in public was at Safeway and I remember feeling extremely self-conscious about that um, it was sort of when it was a recommendation but not that you didn't have to but I was kind of ready to do that but it felt funny 
And now the very first store that I went back into when the masks were removed was Safeway. And I wore my mask because I still didn't quite feel comfortable not wearing it. But it was kind of interesting. Like that walk through the produce aisle was the two bookends of mask wearing. But I think I'll, I'll keep doing it for a while. Um, our summer, we were still pretty locked down. So this has almost been like another found summer for me. We've had beautiful hot weather. But we haven't had, and this will sound awful because you're here as company, but we haven't had a lot of company. <laughs> it, it was still sort the of The best like summer ever. Best summer ever. No company until right now. Until I saw Steve a little while ago and now you know. Uh, but in a way, it was kind of neat just to have that freedom, if you want to call it, from all the other stuff. Next summer, I think I, I want to get back to traveling and I want to get back to having company all summer and doing those activities. But it was still kind of neat. And we had phenomenally good weather. Yeah, I you know I showed up for the worst weather you've had this summer, uh, which I'm not complaining about because I'm obviously I'm here to see my family and my mom and my sister and stuff. So, uh, and I brought up the kids, uh, but yes, we're we're there's a reason why we're indoors doing an extra extra because it's cold <laughs> and rainy outside. Otherwise, we'd be at the lake. Uh, so you know, but take what you can get. It's funny. I actually went to. I've been going to Safeway every single day that I'm in Thompson because they have a Starbucks up there. So I usually walk from Hemlock and uh, I go get myself a, a, a coffee. I and it's been sort of sentimental walking the route that I used to always take as a kid, and uh, I go a different, a slightly different way every time. And I have to say, there's a lot of people on the streets that are wearing their masks still. And when I walked into Safeway, there was like it was instinctive for me. I just put on a mask. And I'd have to say most people in Thompson are still wearing masks. Like I, if, if it was lifted a couple of days ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell. Um, so, and I think that's going to stick around for a very long time as our waves trickle on and on. And we keep hearing the echoes of the past. So it's going to be here for a while. Yeah. You want to talk fourth wave right now? Or do you want to do that in our little predictions at the end? Yeah, well, yeah, no, we can talk about it now. Um, obviously in Alberta, most people know that Alberta has been a little bit of an outlier in terms of policy and, uh, you know, not taking medical advice. And even very recently, our own public health officer sort of went in the opposite direction of where everybody thought she was going to go. But we are certainly starting to feel the repercussions of Stampede. I mean, there's no question that we opened up uh, our premier fought very, uh, in this case, well to get lots of vaccines into arms in full and utter preparation for Stampede because it's such a big event in our community and uh, nationally and internationally. So the number of cases coming out of Stampede are starting to grow and the number of people that are coming to the hospital are starting to grow and every single person I've taken care of 100% have been non-vaccinated. I have not yet taken care of a single non-vaccinated patient in the ICU and I think those numbers are just going to continue to go. I have zero prediction of how bad it will be though. Single vaccinated person. You, you said you haven't had a single unvaccinated person in your ICU. You've, you haven't cared for anybody who has had both of their vaccines. I must have misspoke. Correct. There's not a single patient that I've taken care of in the ICU that has had their vaccine, either first or double vax. So it's all unvaccinated yeah. people and very young, like many of them under 40. Good stories, though. Um, you know, they, they unfortunately, because of how good we've gotten at this, do well because they're young and they have very little comorbidity but it's certainly scary taking care of people way younger than me 
Well, and it was a cautionary tale for me, I think, because you sent a text to one of our, like our group chat the one yeah. day just saying, <laughs> I think we want to be really clear. You never tell us who the people are. No. <laughs> but, but you just said there's, there, at that time, there were four people in their 40s or younger in your ICU at one time. And Correct. That, that staggered me. And I've told some people that, and they've shared it with others, because I think we, oftentimes we don't put that together, that there are young people, like, and, yes. and you're going to end up... <laughs> In the ICU, it's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no, the, I always tell people the same thing. The odds are with you. There's no question. The chances of you getting really, really ill are very low. Uh, and in the ICU, even lower. And I have a very jaundiced view because I only take care of those bad odds. But uh, it is pretty scary. And, um, and the ripple effects to their families and often young children can be quite devastating. And speaking of the stampede and Calgary and all of Alberta I know there's been frustration it's interesting that the two of us end up in the basement like you said it's sad we'd rather be at Studio P but it's nine degrees and raining because Manitoba there's a lot of frustration here because we've opened up so slow like we are probably almost the last in Canada to you know start to remove the masks and and we're just finally sort of allowing people into our houses and things like that and I, I sort of applaud that as frustrating as it can be from talking to you yeah, and yeah. talking to other people but um, slowing that down I think in the end is probably going to proved to be the right thing for our healthcare system. And maybe in some ways it's helped us. Our vaccine numbers are excellent right now compared to a lot of Canada. And maybe that has a little part of it. Yeah, no, I think that's true. An inter- I actually find it very interesting, and we're going to reflect on this, is Canada's been a bit of a tapestry on how we've approached this. Uh, I think Les has said this in a previous pod, the frustration how every jurisdiction is different and there's not a national guideline, it's all provincial. And of course, every province economically is very different, so their approach has to be different because they can't literally bear the costs uh, of this disease. So in a way, it's been interesting that a single country, like the States, has had such a tattered approach to this that at least we're going to be able to reflect back on it and learn which of the approaches. It'll probably be some mixture of the two so that the next highly infectious disease that comes out or the next variant or whatever, whatever disease or biological issue they're going to have in the future, I hope people will have the corporate memory to say, hey, remember back in yeah. 2019, well, Ontario did it this way, Manitoba did it this way. Well, that was too hard. That was too lean. It's got to be, we should do it this way. So I, I hope those will be the learnings. And uh, yes, kudos to Manitoba. Uh, it is now leading Canada, which within I would suspect must be in the top five best vaccinated places on earth. Yeah. In the 80s with 75% with two, that's better than any place I know of. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty impressive. And small little pat on the back for some of my work pals, because Northern uh, Region is leading Manitoba, and Manitoba is leading some of the world. So we've we've done some pretty innovative, heavy duty outreach stuff, and it it pays off. Even though, as you've said, sometimes you got to be a little controversial. Sometimes you got to push a little bit harder than everybody else. But it's top top marks to that. Yeah, I agreed. What does September look like? You you go first, and then I'll I'll try to guess. I mean, we've got a fourth. I think there's no doubt there's a fourth wave coming. You said it was like, Started like you surfed out of Alberta on the fourth wave. Yeah, no, I'm fully expecting to come back from my three weeks of vacation and be getting emails from my department head to say, hey, we're reinstituting surge protocol. We're uh, opening up more ICU beds. We've actually completely held on to extra ICU beds in anticipation for this. So people who are in the know understand now, like we've now have some epidemiology and cadence of this disease. So 
it's coming back. Alberta's done some pretty controversial things where they're no longer testing, no longer <laughs> tracing. Uh, you know, if you're sick, you're sick. Where, you know, not, they're not even going to do follow up with you, uh, and uh, all the kids are going to go back to school. That's certainly going to have repercussions for it. So, I. Th- I hope there's enough people vaccinated that they won't have to go back because we're humans. And if you give, everybody's suffered, or at least they have thought that they have given up so much for so long. Now that they're giving it back, man, to go back, step back. I mean, that that feels like revolt because you see that happening in other countries in south of the border where there's protests. Even when things are opening up, they're protesting. So you can imagine going back. So my prediction is full fourth wave in the next four to five weeks. Alberta probably won't do very much about it uh, just because we have the resources to handle it and we've proven that we can and it won't be as many people as last time. Uh, I think that will be a very different story for Manitoba. Yeah, I think so. It's it's interesting because from my public health world, I think it's going to be a little bit the same. Uh, in that we can see we're ramping up right now. We're taking a lesson from Alberta. Like we, we know we've followed Alberta and Ontario. Every wave. Every wave. So let's not kid ourselves. So we're already bolstering our resources. But knowing that it's going to be a little different, almost it's almost like that duck analogy now. Like people are going to see us, public health and, and health overall, mm. as a duck swimming along, looking calm. And underneath the water, we're paddling furiously and and we know that we're still doing contact tracing i think we're going to keep doing that that's a hard hard job but most of the public isn't going to see that anymore and we're not going to be wearing masks so it's going to seem like the world's chugging along your icu is going to be bananas between now and december january maybe longer Um, and we know that a lot of the nurses now that are working on vaccines are going to get pulled into work on flu because flu along with covid or is going to be crazy and then we're talking about third booster shots for immunocompromised people and so this vaccine campaign is going to go on for likely for a year 10 months for sure yep um so there there's lots coming but i I think you're right the fourth wave is going to look different i heard a i think this was just the most brilliant quote i heard was from the president of france and i don't know if you saw this one but france has taken an extremely hard stance in terms of almost flip-flopping this having the guts to say we're doing everything for people with two vaccines. You got two vaccines, you can go to restaurants, you can go to movies, you can go to this and this and this. Right. Without two, you are clamped down. You can't come in, your life is gonna suck. And he said, now it's your turn to stay home. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the people that made us infected and caused a lot of this didn't stay home when people that were following the rules did. And he said, me and my family are tired of staying home. We can go out now, we've had two vaccines. If you haven't, now it's your turn to stay home. Yeah. You know, there, there's a there's a very visceral part of me, just the way that I grew up in my immigrant, uh, that likes that, like that says, hey, <laughs> you know, like that's exactly what my dad would have said to me. Tough titty. <laughs> yeah, I can, you don't I like can, it. I These are the rules. Sammy right now. Oh, just... no, no. <laughs> Sammy would have exactly said that. You don't like the rules. You didn't obey the rules. These are the consequences. So that's a very linear argument, uh, except healthcare is not linear and people are very emotional. Uh, and there's no way that would fly in Canada, except Quebec, seemingly, since they're <laughs> going to have a, a vaccine passport. I, I don't know why, but I, I would suspect that most politicians would consider it suicide to do that, even though there'd be a tiny per- percentage of people that are actually the loudest voice, and they are disproportionate, because I think most level-headed people 
would say that might be a bit harsh, but I understand why you're doing it. Like, it, it, I don't want them to do that, but I think it's probably a, a okay thing to do. But yeah, that, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I, I totally agree with you. I don't. I don't think I'm all the way there where he's at. But I thought it was just kind of a neat. Like, it's a neat quote, and yeah. and it's kind of an interesting stance. Um, for us. I see both sides of that because the biggest impact we've had in terms of getting people vaccinated in Manitoba was when our vaccine cards came out and we had similar to Alberta. You guys had the million dollar prize. Yeah. We, we have a, a number of hundred thousand dollar prizes, but we were doing all kinds of outreach efforts where we were having barbecues and, you know, we had a DJ yeah. at the, the COVID clinic and all that kind of stuff. Nothing brought out more people until you couldn't go visit your loved ones in a long-term care until you had your vaccine card. So as soon as that card came out, we went from begging people to come to our clinics to lineups. Flint Flon, we couldn't get people to go there. And as soon as that came out, there was a lineup two hours before, right? It looked like a rock concert in the 80s when, when you and I lined up for, for tickets. So I think putting some of those sanctions and even from talking to our kids about, you know, what would get people in your cohort who to, to go out, they all said it's restrictions. Like if I can't go to a restaurant, that's going to inspire me more than the story that I might infect my grandmother, which you know, we disagree with or not, but, yeah. but I'm not bulletproof anymore. Now it just sucks because I can't go to a North Star game. So I'm going to go get my two vaccines. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that probably didn't work. That wouldn't have worked at the beginning. Not even close. Yeah. But now it, uh, it would work. So I think that's a, a good example of how strategies need to be nimble and they need to change. Yeah. Uh, you know, at the beginning, I think people, the people that got it were just scared and they were terrified and, you know, you were just constantly inundated with the news of how scary this was and you couldn't, you know, I could barely stand looking at the coronavirus cartoon with its, you know, <laughs> if I look at a, a, a magnified view of a coronavirus one more time, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to barf, right? And now I think that's true is if you don't, if you tell people that they can't have something, that's probably a better way of approaching it than this could happen to you or this could be better if you take... Yeah, it's sort of the carrot stick thing. Yeah. Uh, but you said something interesting about how do you get all those second people that are... Or all those first dosers that haven't gotten the second dose, how do you get those people fully up? That, that to me in so many jurisdictions looks like our first... That should be our first strategy. We know you came for one, so you're not, you're probably not hesitant. There's going to be an extremely small amount of people that yeah. got the first one with some regret or, you know, yeah. like sort of coerced into it. But for the most part, in most jurisdictions, I think that's our first strategy is to say, okay, we've got the two lists. And now, you know, some people are going to say, well, I had to go to the COVID clinic. Like I drove myself 20 minutes. Now, yeah. why are you going to this person's house or why are you going to their workplace right. or whatever? But I'm, I'm kind of done with that. I want those numbers to go up. And so we have the list. We're going to phone you and say, when can we come to your house? Or here's here's where the clinic is. Like, how do we make this easy for you? That should be our very first strategy to get all of our first doses, seconds. And then we keep plugging away at people who haven't kind of got any yet, right? And uh, I'm sure Alberta's the same. Public health does that now. We know how many kids are four years old in Thompson. And we phone them and say, kindergarten vaccinations are available at this time or we'll come to your house. Right, and, yeah. And so this isn't a brand new strategy. Um, but I think it's something we should look at. Yeah, no, I, I do like that idea. I'm sure there'll be some pushback from a privacy thing. It's like, how, how come you know I have not yeah. had my first vaccine? It's supposed to be confidential. Uh, and then you just have to negotiate to say, you know, thank you for doing that. It's great. 
Uh, we need to get your second one. I mean, it's no different than when you donate to a charity and then all of a sudden the charity when you stop the charity calls you <laughs> yeah. and other charities call you because somehow they share that list yeah. and you're never really upset about that you're kind of annoyed but yeah. you know i'm not you know no i don't want to give uh anymore so i, th I, I yeah I, I think this is the same too we're not, we're not coming to your house and tying you down and giving you a vaccine but we're just saying hey we know you got the first one you're probably open to the second one yeah here's our list of places that we're going to be or this is how we can make this easy for you yeah. is, is kind of the bottom line. Although I noticed in walking around and driving around Thompson, there's lots of signs uh, about upcoming clinics in in August yeah. on odd days and odd times, uh, especially the Northern University where you certainly are still pushing up here to make it as accessible as possible to people. Totally. And yeah. August, the, the strategy totally flipped from fixed clinics we realized at one time we had saturated the number of people that are going to come to a fixed clinic yeah. whether that was because the hours you know didn't yeah. work with their shift work or they it was too far from their house yeah. like if it's a 45 minute walk yeah. so yeah it's all outreach now trying to trying to set up some other clinics and anytime you come to get any services from healthcare, you're getting an offer <laughs> you show That's up right. at the er again we're not tying you down but we're making that offer and it's available right now so can can we get you right so top marks to those guys are putting in so much effort. Yeah, I like your kids' idea of offering those 20-something-year-old kids a McDonald's or Tim Hortons coupon. You're, you're, you're right there. Hey, you, you want your Egg McMuffin and coffee in the morning? I'll yep. pay for it. Here's, <laughs> here's a shot. Yeah, here you get a shot. You got a free junior chicken and a fruitopia <laughs> coming your way. Oh, and if you, they, they were probably not wrong that if you set up at those fast food places for a week, you would yeah. come into contact with a huge proportion, especially of, of kids that were probably open to it, but just never quite got organized to get to the right place. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting commentary on public health since you're you know have learned more about public health in this last eighteen months than you ever thought you would, and and even me, because yeah. um, that's not I deal with it on a very small scale, but the flip in people's thinking that you know six months ago, twelve months ago. If you had brought up the idea of paramount or tantamount to a, a bribe, like you're bribing <laughs> people <laughs> to do something. We, we, like, we like to say incentive, yeah, incentive but it's, 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 a it's a bribe. It's a bribe. It's a, bribe. It's a totally a bribe, uh, including like large cash payouts of ridiculous monies for you to do something that's for the good of you and the good of fellow Canadians is absurd. Uh, however, we've gotten to a point where everything's on the table you, you know you uh were, were in a health crisis and what was a dumb idea 12 months ago <laughs> like giving people the chance to win money to get a poke uh of a highly effective treatment it, it, it's just interesting like people are just saying hey we, we got to do what we have to do because in the end this is going to save us way more money and it's been very interesting to see the psychology of what you have to do for public health it's it been very cool yeah, you're right. It's it's kind of neat to say that. And, uh, and you're right. The whole world, I think, got a little bit of a public health uh, education. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like nobody knew or cared about it. For me, you're right. It's been, I wouldn't call it a master class, but it's been interesting because I was part of that department. But really, my, my portfolio isn't hardcore public health. I wasn't dealing with dog bites and immunizing children and, <laughs> yeah. and those kind of things. But as a result of this, we've got pulled into that. And now we're in daily meetings where you, le you learn a lot about it right and and try to help out where we can so it's been like i said i'm i'm a long ways behind your 56 years of schooling but <laughs> but, but it's been an interesting 18 months for sure well, well funny thing I, 
the most boring class we ever took in med school was public health. <laughs> so it was, there's always a class, you remember university or some part of a class uh, that you just, it was yawn, you didn't show up to it, you read it from the book. Probably in our last year, we had to buy this book, which I don't think I bought, and we definitely had questions and it was all about public health and we had to do like a little project and it was just such a groaner. Everybody hated it. No one would ever think about specializing in public health. It's like if you couldn't match to anything else, you would do public health and then, you know, as fast. Your, as your, lo- as your r- rotation. Oh, yeah. Your like local. it's your default. It's, it's your default. You would never you would never do it. And uh, there are some people that chose to do that that are really shining you know, right now that are really looking, being looked up to. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting. It, it, yeah, it was such a, it seemingly at the time was such a boring thing because there's no immediacy to it. You cannot see as a young person studying something, what the, you're, you're, I was taught to heal people, to treat individuals, to treat everybody that's in front of me, not treat society at large and that's what really public health is is treating societies at large this is almost like a public health lesson on speed because normally dealing with any sort of yeah. you know diabetes is kind of the same but that it's generations yeah. <laughs> so we do have some medical officers of health doctors that we work with but you're right this is such a long view and society and social determinants of health and you're you're looking at so many things it's not for everybody. No, it isn't for everybody. Th- this will be a good time for me to plug it. Obviously, I'm not going to drop any names and embarrass people on our world-renowned podcast because <laughs> there'll be hundreds of people yeah. listening here. <laughs> all our tens of listeners. All our, ten, all our dozens of <laughs> listeners. But, you know, there's a, there are some pretty important people in my life that continue to be vaccine hesitant, you know, and I just listen to them. I, I, have, I have fully switched to that smoldering angry cannot believe you're in that headspace to huh there's a lot of people in your headspace yeah and uh, i got to be patient and uh you know whatever you're gonna do you're gonna do but uh yeah it's a little plea to keep uh everybody that may listen to this who know who they are i'm gonna i'm gonna drop it right now i will come to your house with a vaccine I, Dr. Alvarez is not a nurse. Will come and uh, we'll put it right in your butt. Even it doesn't have to be the shoulder. Can have a couple of drinks. You choose. You, you choose. You choose whatever large muscle group you want, and I got it. I got it down. <laughs> World-renowned Snow Day podcaster George Alvarez has just put that down. <laughs> yeah. Anybody who wants it, I'll get it in. I'll get it in your butt. Yeah, I'll come to you. How do we not move off COVID right there? <laughs> What, what a wrap, too yeah. good. Okay, you want to switch to Olympics? The Tokyo Olympics just wrapped up as we're recording this. I think the closing ceremonies were two days ago. We both said we were pedestrian viewers or fans. Well, my experience was more, Marnie was pretty into it. She's off all summer and she loves stuff like that, like sports and events. Like, and so she was kind of into it. Um, so there was some things that she wanted to watch. I watched when I was kind of with her or passing through, but I didn't... I don't think there was any single event that I thought, okay, I'm going to carve some time out of my day to watch this. Um, to, tell me what your experience was like first, and then I'll, I'll give you a few things that I just sort of how my experience was. Yeah, well, I'll start with a plug of a previous pod that we did on the Olympics <laughs> yeah, and the relevance well, of Well, it's it. funny that you and I are talking about this and Les isn't here because he's really our Olympics expert. Yeah, no. He loves us more than us, and he was actually kind of on an Olympic path, whereas you and I thought we were, but we never really got out of high school sports. No, no, I, I, I would certainly say that 
Les would have the most to say about this topic, but you know what? Fuck him. He's not, <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> screw, screw that. And you have been golfing very well this yeah, summer, so you I, never know. You yeah, might be I might, three, years, late, three years from now, a late, late addition to our Olympic Phil Mickelson team. won a major at 50. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> and I'm a lefty like he is. Uh, yeah, so the idea of a short period of time with a huge concentration of elite athletes coming together, the premise is amazing. Uh, you're, you're right. You you just can't. The storyboard is perfect simple. for it. Yeah, it, simple it, and great. It's simple and it's great, and I, and I really like it. Uh, now this is partly because I I only have like uh, Netflix and streaming services like Crave, so I, I don't have CBC, so I couldn't watch it. You so, you do online. We don't have CBC either, but it's all online. It, 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 available. You just have to work at it. A yeah, bit. yeah. So obviously, I didn't work at it. I, I did follow the CBC Gram, Olympic Gram, so that I could you know watch stuff. So uh, obviously, you know, from a Canadian perspective, I was interested in track and field because I liked running. Obviously, I was super interested in the women's soccer, uh, especially after they beat the the U.S. But I, I'm like you, never sat down. Uh, unlike the Winter Olympics, where I would have gotten up to watch the hockey game or even curling, to tell you the yeah. truth, <laughs> or a variety of other sports. Uh, and so uh, I didn't watch a single event that wasn't by accident, like the TV wasn't on. Uh, obviously, our success at this Olympics was great. Uh, so it's, you know, they're, they're a little proud part of being a, a Canadian. But I don't think I've moved too far off our stance in our previous pod about the lackluster or that it's just lost its shine, especially uh, when there was no people in the stands. Like it, 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 it even yeah. it even blanched it further <laughs> for me. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for the athletes because you get so much energy from the people around you. Um, so those would be my initial comments. Uh, but, but some very interesting stories came out of this Olympics that were different than other Olympics, which we can talk about later. What were your first thoughts? Yeah, I'm, I think I'm exactly the same as you. As an event, it's phenomenal, right? And, and a little bit of it, I don't, I don't want to compare it to WWE, but um, maybe it's just starting to turn into a lot of other sporting events for me because, uh, as we've talked about, I'm not a huge sports-watching fan. Um, but, I, I mean, I like a big event. I like a big final. Everybody likes that. And now... Somehow the Olympics are watered down to me that I don't really sort of feel like, oh my goodness, these are the greatest people in the world, even though they are. It's just a cool event to watch. Like, it's almost like this is Saturday night's main event for this summer. And, right. and this, this is a neat event to me, but somehow I don't, I don't think I idolize those athletes the way I should have, or maybe the way, like when Ben Johnson won, right? Like that was, I don't know why, and probably because we were younger and now you're older and cynical, but yeah. it's, it's a cool event. But I don't, it's not super high on a pedestal for me anymore. And sort of like you're right, plugging back to our other podcast, I feel like the IOC is the, the mafia. And, and I only get, I, I mean, I don't know anyone in the IOC, so I'm only getting that through the media, right? But, but it just feels like this isn't a really cool world thing anymore. It's just somebody's business. It's, it's a business machine, and there's a, there's a Vince McMahon of the IOC at, yes. the, at the front of this, and they've figured out how to market this to the world, and it's awesome, right? Like, we love consuming this content, but somehow, yeah, it's not... Well, they are superhumans, but I, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's blanched for me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it almost certainly started when they let in professional athletes that right there for me was I, I i think it's stupid that nba players um are in it uh 
you know, I think it's kind of cool that they let skateboarding in this year because it's such a, <laughs> you know, fringy, weird, oh, thing fringy, <laughs> weird thing for that. Somebody could compete, you know, that part of it, the Olympics is still cool that they're experimenting with letting in newer and newer, um, sports or what would not be traditional, original sports. So I, yeah. that part of it is cool. Uh, I hope that the other side of that token is they just let go of other stupid sports that they've had forever, just from tradition. Uh, I guess one of them is like powerlifting. For some reason, it, it just seems like it's such a ridiculous sport for me. Like the, this just grotesque amount of weight that they're cleaning and jerking. I, I'm not sure why that's a sport, but I'm. I guess if you're a clean and jerker, you you, you disagree. I, a little bit on the clean and jerk. I, I still think there's some place in this world where, and I'm about to argue yeah. against myself, but one day you and I could end up at the gym and say, okay, can you lift more weight than me or can I lift more weight than you? Like that's basically what it is, right? Like, yeah. like who's stronger here? So um, I, I kind of get why you want to know who the person in this world that can lift the most weight is. But the, Well, then they should have a bench press too. Well, they should, I guess they technically, should. yeah. The I, clean see what, and jerk I see what you're is, saying. Yeah. Just the clean and jerk. The one that I thought was totally absurd is the steeplechase. <laughs> like we we watched the 1500 or 12. I don't can't even remember how long it was, but it's like this 10 minute steeplechase race where you have to jump over these little things and there's a, they build this fake puddle of water in them. And I just thought, who in this world does steeplechase anymore? Which maybe there are some cross country runners that do. But it just that's the one where I thought, okay, this could go, right? It's not something that people see almost anywhere. Yeah, that, that yeah and. And I would guess it's like the 50 kilometer walk is in there. It, it, it's such, a, and even though like we won the bronze in that, <laughs> even though we're good at it, even though we're good at it, but no, that guy, yeah, th there are a couple of things that clearly, at least from our knowledge or the way they advertise it, the only thing that it ever happens or the only time you ever see it is in the Olympics. And in that case, that's the purity of it. You only, you only do it at the Olympics. This is what you train for. And that's the cool part of it, even though I may think it's kind of a silly thing that we compete in. Equestrian is on that same level with me. You should be giving the horses the medals, not the dudes on the horses. <laughs> like, they did fuck all. Like, I, I, I think they did fuck all. It's all horse. It's all horse. Uh, I, think you're, I think it's like an appropriation. Like, people are talking about cultural appropriation. I think you're appropriating the the, the horse, the horse talent in that one. The equine. The, the equine talent, yeah. It's cultural appropriation for the horse. I think there's too many things in Olympics, I guess, is an overall theme. Uh, if there is an additional thing that goes on to the Olympics, I think there should be a committee that takes away things as well because it just can't keep getting bigger and bigger because I think there's fatigue in that. There's too many things to compete in. And again, I, I just want to reiterate, I think it's dumb uh, that professional athletes uh, are in it. Uh, you saw Djokovic make a fool of himself playing tennis. He is by certainly the top two best tennis players of all time. He's won Ooh, everything. Top Top three, we got to stick. Who's your top three? Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. And Djokovic, yeah. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, they're ridiculous. Of the last eighty-four <laughs> majors, I, they've I won I, sixty-four. I thought you were clearing out old man Federer, who Marnie. Loves. Oh no, no, she, no, no, she no, would, no. You would never be on. Oh the no, 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 no. Yeah, no, Federer. <laughs> actually, he probably is my favorite player. Uh, just that Djokovic is younger, and he's just such a beast. He's, he's going to be better. For yeah, yeah. It but, sucks, but it's true. Yeah, like. Look, if you win Wimbledon, why are you going for a medal? If you're a if you're trying to be in the World Cup, why are you trying to win? Like I, and I just was listening to you know the Beijing, you know the Winter Olympics are coming up in six months, and Gary Bettman is talking about having a break so that the NHL players can go. And I was just thinking, 
that's stupid. Why are you breaking up? We finally got a full season with maybe <laughs> spectators in it, and you're telling me you're going to break it up. Now, that's partly because I'm a flame season ticket holders, and I don't want them to be breaking up. But I just generally think professional athletes in Olympics, uh, I just disagree with it generally. I think I agree with you too. I don't like those, and it would be cool that as a amateur hockey player, <laughs> same as you getting into the golf my time's getting thinner getting past 50 is going to be harder to make the olympics but you're right it would be neat if it was every senior hockey team in the world had a shot at making the olympics yeah right you go through a round <laughs> robin and you get a chance yeah you, you get out you of win your, your your provincial you go to nationals <laughs> you become the canadian no i no, i agree um it's I, I think you're right though it's it's hard to police because in some respects um the sprinters and all those guys are professionals now too right they have like Andre DeGrasse has a Puma contract that probably yeah. pays better than what you and I yeah, make every no, year. I'm just yeah. guessing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think the reason that faded away because it's just so hard to make that distinction, but I don't disagree with you, right? Especially the pro sports leagues where that's a lot Yeah, where clearer. they're making obscene money. Yeah. Uh, they're con- yeah, absolutely. My only other one with the Olympics that I would like to see, I, I don't think they're going to keep dumping sports because it's kind of like Vince McMahon. Like the more sports they have, the more money the IOC mafia makes. Yeah. I'd like to see a break between judged and non-judged sports. And I think to me, the, the pure Olympics are the ones where there are no judges. And so that'll never go, but skateboarding, how do you decide? Whereas the 200 meter final, there's is no doubt about it. Even the yeah. clean and jerk, either you, do, either you lifted it, either you lifted it or you didn't. Yeah. And so I'm not taking anything away from those athletes that are in judged sports, but it's just a whole different zone. And I would almost like to see two streams or maybe even two events where these are judged sports and these are just, I threw faster than you. I ran faster than you. Like we were sort of talking about the decathlon guy from yeah. Canada, which was such a phenomenal story. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. He did better than everybody else. By a long shot. And he's the best athlete on earth. Yeah. Well, that's certain. I mean, that talks a little bit to Les's chosen sport of diving. Cause I actually reached out to him when that 14 year old Chinese girl probably dove the best card ever like she had tens she killed everybody she was nadia kamenichi yeah she, yeah she was the the, the montreal kamenichi just a ridiculous phenomenal young athlete and people are giving her tens you know and i saw it on highlights and then you know les reaches out to me and said look i looked at her card and it's like maybe the best diving performance of all time and i guess the asterisk to that is, well, that's the greatest perceived diving performance of all time. Like so, someone judged that to be the greatest. In this case, they're probably right. Yeah. And the people that are judging are obviously professionals and they know what to look for. Uh, I don't know if that'll ever go away there. I think it's too entrenched, but I, I do like your idea that, you know, to take, you know, the steeplechase is stupid, but everybody has to run over something and jump through water and has to, <laughs> and has to run a mile to shy of a mile 1500 yeah. meters it, even though it looks dumb it's funny you say that because as i was calling that out as a silly thing to be in the Olympics, i thought that though at least this is me against you right yeah, like yeah. we're gonna buy in the old days i'm gonna run through this field and over that pond yeah. faster than you will and there's no kind of doubt about it so the and again you're right not taking anything away like the gymnasts are phenomenal athletes Freak like athletes. beyond anything we could even fathom yeah yeah. But in the end, you're right. There's a judged component. To, I thought you landed better than you. Yeah. The only other thing, and we can talk about Simone Biles a little bit, just because that's, uh, I think, a little bit of a controversial thing, yeah. her pulling out. Um, I often think they should all have to do exactly the same thing. 
And so if it is a judged sport, like even figure skating, uh, I'm just taking it to winter Olympics, probably yeah. the same as gymnastics. Everybody has to do this routine or even just these jumps and these spins. And then we're judging, then we're judging you one-on-one, -on -one, whereas you can do this combination. I can do this. And somehow we're trying to equate those like that. You know what I mean? That bugs me. Skateboarding, same thing. And some of those X games, they yeah. sort of do that where it's like the, who can go the highest competition. And, right. Right. Um, there is some, I think I, I'm sure somebody will correct us for sure in figure skating, since you brought it up, there is a minimal requirement of what you have to do. And then you start gaining points on the, like the difficulty. Yeah, you're of right. It. There's, there's uh yeah, whatever basic elements or yeah, whatever, basic, they, whatever yeah. they call them. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And so yeah, I get that you have to add that, but it should just be straight up. Okay. You have to do this jump, that jump, that jump in this order. And we're going to watch and see who does it the best. Yeah. So I don't know. That would take, yeah, the, I think the conformity would drive people crazy because then it's never pushing the limit of what, yeah. it, what an athlete can do. That's uh, true. And it would be more boring to watch. Yeah. And, and lots of this is about what's exciting to watch. Yeah. And what pays just a, the other thing that drove me crazy, you know, we grew up with terrible coverage from CBC. <laughs> the coverage was in the little that I watched on CBC it drove me crazy. It was like three minutes of coverage and two minutes of commercials. Uh, you know, I know, I know they have to pay for stuff. I, I just, the commentary to sports is so important to us because you want insightful comments. You want people to tell you stuff that you don't understand or don't know. And I just feel that sometimes they don't have the best commentators and the actual viewing to uh, commercial ratio uh, at least in, in the, the little time that I watched it, was so frustrating. Fuck, did I, I ever, I, well, frustrating as hell. You know, it's funny as Murphy and I talked about that a little bit because, and I think, I mean, who knows? Somebody, again, you're right, way smarter with media than us yeah. will tell us. CBC had 10 streams or 12 streams of things that were on. So you could watch whatever yeah. you wanted yeah. at any time yeah. on their CBC Gem app or yeah. whatever it was. Yeah. But you're right. I think they pumped through a bunch of commercials because now you're paying for all of this coverage. Yeah. As a result of that, you're trying to have some kind of commentators. Like it must have cost them a fortune or whatever yeah. because you're trying to have some kind of commentators on each of these streams. Whereas you're right. When we watched 15 years ago, and Murphy said that, you watched the Olympics. Like yeah. you put on the Olympics and it was one feed. Yeah. And part... So they probably didn't need quite as many commercials to pay for it. They also picked the most exciting things and had the best announcers in the world, yeah. you know, to pump you up and give you some insight. Whereas this in one sense gets watered down, but in the other sense before, if you wanted to watch fencing, but the hundred meter final was on, you're watching the hundred meter. Yeah, final. There's, yeah. <laughs> and like Marnie was saying before we came on, she really wanted to watch the women's beach volleyball. Women's beach volleyball is not going to be the a number one thing until it's probably the final right right and we could dive into maybe more because of the outfits but that's not good either yeah um but now as a result she could watch the basically the whole tournament but you're right there was tons of commercials the announcers weren't that great all of that stuff so i i think there's a balancer but i don't think they got it right because i agree with you i got so tired of those commercials it was just like i'm gonna leave now yeah, if I'm trying to watch something that I would normally not watch, then don't make me not want to watch it by <laughs> by hardly letting me watch it. <laughs> or with so many interruptions, it's to me it was a little bit of akin to if we're having a conversation like we are now and you're constantly interrupting my thought or not letting me finish my thought, I don't want to talk to you anymore. And that's what it felt like in CBC sometimes. Um, anyways, I don't want to shit yeah. on CBC too much, but you know... 
to have something that already lacks luster for me and I want to support Canadian broadcasting and to watch it a little bit and then for it to be so poorly delivered it was very frustrating it's, yeah it, it it feels like they're still trying to figure out how streaming how to make money with streaming right, right. that's yeah. that's that's kind of what it was personal highlights from what happened you mentioned Simone before so start like, yeah so you, I, I, like, I what about that yeah I think everybody was surprised that the most decorated gymnast of all time and almost certainly the best gymnast of all time you know uh, came out and sort of openly talked about mental health issues so I mean that was good to use such a gigantic platform to talk about that so I think that's the comfort with which we can talk about those issues so that that part of it was very cool and the corollary of that is it came from such a patriotic country like the United States where winning really is everything for sports like you, you well know. and especially in gymnastics like their gymnastics program has been so strong for so long like that's a yeah. they're in this not really pressure cooker the pressure for those girls to do well especially girls right it's it's all about their women's gymnastics oh, no, program is like something we couldn't even fathom you probably would never put your child in that even if they were a spectacular gymnast well you yeah, know i mean I, I made a conscious effort not to put my son in hockey just because of what i've witnessed in the last <laughs> little bit where it's the the pressure cooker of canadian hockey i i didn't like it uh, what i where i saw the direction going from it i didn't like it and obviously i like hockey i just told you that i have season tickets <laughs> for the flames but i i just i would never subjugate my my child to it uh, and i chose different sports for my children so so well, for me, ho- that, hopefully they chose them, but yeah. all right. Yeah, but, no, but, but really we did. We, 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 we do. It's true. Yeah. Uh, the, cho- yeah our, the parents choose and we hope that they like the things that you choose for them. So that was, that was certainly interesting. But then, you know, I just kept thinking about it more and more. It, for somebody, like this person is ridiculously successful. So the person, she walked away not being like a, a journeyman, like a middle of the road, just, you know, hashing it out year after year, like, super successful story and for her to walk away from it it just reinforced the ridiculous pressure that these athletes their sponsors uh, and when they're on a world stage they're not just competing for their mom and their dad and their sister they're competing for an entire nation that generally speaking you know puts them up on a pedestal uh, gives them a ridiculous amount of money and uh, notoriety and fame and it's sort of the continuation of that society how the perception of how you do and how you're doing is so much more important than how you're feeling uh and what's going on inside and so for her to sort of break that you know and then it it, you know then you had all these people on twitter i don't have twitter but i read the feeds you know um justin bieber saying something to her saying you know way to go uh i know exactly what you went through sometimes the pressure was so high and of course you know he snapped all those years ago and he was like a little shit and now he's sort of coming right so yeah I, I think it's a it was a good example of seeing the pressures without seeing somebody completely to compensate like you didn't hear this gigantic backstory that she was you know drugs and she's into prostitution now <laughs> and she's you know like it, it didn't come with some this this really gross dark story it just was i'm not competing because like, i need to concentrate on myself like it was a the, the story was very simple and pure and then you we could fill in all the tiles that we needed to 
Um, it wasn't, so I like that it was a clean story that brought up a very important issue. And then surprisingly, and probably just because the way the society was, I mean, outside of a very few outsider comments, there was just general support. Yeah, no, and, and you're right. I don't, I don't think that could have come even four years ago. I mean, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I mean, I'll be totally honest. There's some questions in my mind that say, if you want to be a top athlete, some of that just comes with the pressure, yep. right? And, yeah. and lots of, lots of athletes thrive on that. And she probably obviously yeah. did till now, but I think it's good f for our society and for her to be able to now stop and not do that. Right. Cause probably one Olympics ago, she would have had to just go and crash and burn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, there was no out for her. She would have had a whole a horrible performance and maybe hurt herself, which is what she was worried about. Yeah. So at least she, she could get out. Right. And you're right. The, there was a little bit of backlash. I guess we talked about a Djokovic kind of gave her a bit of a hard time saying sort of what I said, if yeah. part of being an athlete is taking this pressure. Yeah. Um, but I just, just like everything that's, that happens in society, it's almost like bullying on the internet yeah. from bullying 20 years ago at the schoolyard. It's on steroids. Right, so the pressure yeah. on these athletes you're now with the money and the international fame is just yeah. phenomenal. And so good for her, and hopefully she comes back and competes again. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing this is the end of her career. Like a, it's Pro a it's probably. a natural it's a natural bout yeah. for her because she still won something on the beam, I think, right? Yeah. Some bronze on the beam, so she's still you know that, that's an pretty Olympic good. Athlete, yeah, or an yeah. Olympic. Yeah, so winner. I'm gonna guess she will bow out, which would be natural or or she comes back and wins gold that would be like spectacular too um yeah if you think of recent like we talked about this on the pod kaepernick when he went down on a knee right yeah. for the black lives matter and pr police brutality his career was destroyed like his super talented quarterback end times for him untouchable 32 white billionaire NFL, <laughs> NFL owners won't touch him with a 10-foot pole. The president of the United States shits on him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, not a peep from anybody uh, when she did what she did, right? Yeah. You know, like zero. Not, you're representing your country. Yeah, you're you a disgrace. Like, if it happened, it definitely did not filter down to general media. But there's been some pretty big... Uh, stories in you know recently like within years where you're right if another athlete not that long ago did what she did it'd be you're a loser you can't handle the pressure usually from losers who can't handle the pressure who have never done anything in their lives because <laughs> that's usually where that critique comes from uh, so that overall for sure is the biggest uh, story for me uh, which I think generally is very positive um, and then I, I would guess that the second biggest story for me is just how well Canada did in, in a non-boycotted Olympics. I think they did, they did well uh, for summer because obviously we're more of a winter Olympics, especially, I mean, our women's soccer is probably the biggest story, having never beaten the States before, and then how we did in track and field. Um, those would be my follow-up big stories. Yeah, I think so. My, I mean, probably my biggest story, just because it was kind of exciting for me, and it's funny, it's it's almost a step out of COVID, but the women's soccer win, uh, Marnie was having a few ladies out to the lake for a ladies' yeah. party, which fit with the guidelines. We were good. <laughs> um, and so that happened to come on in the morning, so everybody was just kind of getting up, making... Uh, 
breakfast actually i was making breakfast i was their yard boy i was i was the help for two days i looked after these guys you were the cabana boy wearing the the budgie smugglers they were calling me pedro i don't know if that's culturally appropriate but it's true uh and so i was i was kind of rumbling around making breakfast and everybody was sitting around the tv watching the shootout at the end and the end of the game and it was that was phenomenally exciting but then to be watching that with a group of people in our small cabin so it felt like it felt like a huge event and it was just like super exciting i can't i had goosebumps the entire time right and i know everybody just had a blast with that so that was good um really cool and and sort of like you say a little step maybe back into the non-covid world and then andre degrasse winning the 200 um like the come from behind was just crazy right and it's exciting and because canada as hard as it is to believe has a little track history it that's that's kind of cool yeah 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 it, it definitely brought us back to the heartache of ben johnson when we were in totally first year university in 88 <laughs> in yeah. seoul right yeah and I, I remember watching it uh either with you or or a floor below you and everybody was just we were screaming together. I remember we were together yeah, yeah we were just, just screaming and you know insane the only and i think this is what waters down the olympics and i'm sure it's been like this forever though at the end they showed after he won his gold medal he was talking to his family and they said yeah his family back in florida and he can't wait to see them and it was kind of like right so i'm sure he trains in florida there's probably a program of basically professional runners there and it makes sense the weather's better i'm sure it's closer to all a lot of events but sometimes it you know, yes, he's competing for Canada and he's Canadian. He grew up here, but yeah. there's a little, eh, I don't know. That that just bugged me a little bit. Penny Alexiak, Alexiak, Alexiak yeah, yeah, the like swimmer, the yeah. swimmer, awesome. And just watching her and those girls was crazy. And I think that's a little bit of it with the Olympics. I'd never heard of her before. Let's let's be real, right? Like Andre, you've heard about because yes. he was in the last Olympics. This decathlon guy Damian, was in the last Olympics too. He was bronze last Olympics. Was he, okay, yeah. so I did, but it wasn't as big a story. So yeah. like honestly, I didn't know that we had this awesome decathlon super guy, athlete like the greatest athlete in the world for yes. sure yeah he and, is the and yeah. so i mean all the things that he did and that was exciting to watch and i think that's what's cool about the olympics but it's also kind of sad that all of a sudden you just parachute this guy in. and who knows maybe he trains in the uk like he just he just wears the flag yeah. <laughs> but we'll take it he's good yeah yeah he's from london <laughs> ontario so that for sure is for me the most impressive thing about the olympics is you watch somebody who trains so hard to do in his case, many things, but most people, a singular yeah. event, and they dedicate so much of their life for this event. So the purity of that thought and the dedication is amazing, uh, and that's what brings the heartache with it, the people that don't win, the people that just miss out, that get the fourth place, that whatever, don't make it past the quarters of the semis. Uh, that's the part about the Olympics uh, that I like. Yeah. And, and back to your not liking professional athletes being there. Because yeah. this is a little bit different. You're slugging it out on no money. I mean, they get some money from the government. And, and maybe you get yeah. the Puma contract. But yeah. most of those athletes don't, right? They're working at UPS and training six hours a day and do their thing. Yeah, it's like the people that play uh, professional cross in Canada. Like, they all have second jobs, right? Like <laughs> totally. The, the, these guys are playing. And these guys are, like, really good at lacrosse. And, uh, and they're tough. Yeah. And they're not making very much money playing. They're, they're <laughs> There's no money in lacrosse. Selling cars. And oh, yeah. They all have, in park. Calgary, they're all local guys that just are good athletes that yeah. do something else. And, and of course, as a sideline to this comment, even the way Canada interprovincially treats their athletes is very different. You have yeah. a very personal example of there's a reason why your secret weapon lives in a different province is because sports in Quebec is taken very seriously and 
it's it's different than in other provinces, right? Totally. If you're a tumbler or a diver or a gymnast, you are trampoline. You're moving to Quebec. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, well, you don't have to, but that's where all the that's best what, yeah. training and facilities, and that's where the money is. Like, it's yeah. And and you're going to go to Calgary if you're a, or or I guess Vancouver if you're a Winter Olympian, right? Like yeah. the facilities well, the, are Calgary, there. Calgary, yeah. The, the like all the facilities. Lots of are national there. teams in many sports play. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if we came to any conclusions <laughs> about the Olympics uh, other than uh, they certainly spent a shitload of money. They have uh, some amazing facilities. I hope they do not go uh, the way of Brazil, okay. which they're dilapidated and in non-use. I suspect not just because they're so much more affluent culture. And just, you know, they take care of their stuff. Yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better for, word. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, stereotypes <laughs> exist for the reason. Like, they take care of their stuff. Uh, so I think they will be in use. Uh, I hope it goes back there again. Like, I, I yeah. if I was the IOC, I would say, hey, you, we delayed it a year. You are almost certainly losing a ridiculous amount of money, including tourism, because of this. We sh- you should be back in line pretty soon. And let's just use these brand new facilities again. We talked a little bit about this on our last pod is that, you know, I think we all came to the conclusion there probably should be four to six cities that just rotate all the not, Olympics. Not, not even, yeah, not even, yeah, you're right. Like maybe two, two, two winters and two summers. Like yeah. I'm totally fine with it. Yeah. Build it like a Disney world, right? Yeah. Like that's what this is starting to get to be. It's an attraction. Yeah. So build it and make it perfect. Have a beautiful village for the athletes and and all that stuff and just yeah. get together. Well, I guess Beijing's coming back. Like they're getting the winter soon after yeah. the summer, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, well, let's agree to have another pod after the Beijing <laughs> Olympics. See if we, uh, we we care just as little about it. Um, we will watch the next Olympics, even though we were kind of up and down on this, for sure. When it's on TV, I'm watching it and I want Canada to win lots of gold. Yes, 100%. yes. 100%. Own the podium. Yeah. <laughs> Own the podium. We're way longer than we thought for an extra extra, but quickly, what's up for you? I know like, what's what's coming up between the next time that you and Les and I and Steve talk. Next real snow day podcast. Yeah, Ho- well, hopefully in a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Again, the summer is always difficult to, to connect. Uh, heading out east. I've never been to the east coast, so I'm looking forward to head out to the east coast and see the beautiful Maritimes. Maybe we can uh, get some maritime listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Plug in, plug in the pod. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then it's not, I mean, if, then it's going to be September. And just like we talked about, what will the fourth wave look like? What will school look like? Uh, yeah, it, it'll certainly be interesting. So that's that's really on the agenda is the continuation of my vacation. But happy to come back for the extra extra at the world headquarters. <laughs> For me, same. We're just chugging out the rest of summer. The most we had a little bit of company. They're gone. We're taking both kids are going down to Winnipeg for uni. So Marna and I get rid of our roommates at the end of August and uh, walking yeah. around naked again. Yeah, exactly. Clothes optional starting on uh, September the third. Uh, podcast extra extra from the basement at World Headquarters. We're out. We're out. We're out.